I can remember a time when I was in college on a spring break trip that some college buddies and I decided we were going to go skiing up in Maine, Vermont, uh, upstate New York. We had an awesome time. We just had a blast several days. Uh, none of us were particularly good skiers. And so um, there were some interesting that, stories that came out of it. One that, that I remember like yesterday was that I was going up a chairlift with a friend and uh, we looked to the right, and there's this really intense hill that had moguls. Some of you know what moguls are like. And um, there was a guy who was trying to go down the moguls. And at one point, he lost his ski poles. And then uh, he lost one of his skis and then another. Have you guys ever seen a slinky that's going down the stairs? Uh, no? None of you have? Well, that's what his body looked like. Well, it turned out after we looked close, he was our friend. Uh, and we still, to this day, haven't let him live that down. He was okay, um, but we certainly made fun of him for that. One of the things that we decided that we were going to do is that we were, we were on this trip over a Sunday, and so we were driving through Atlantic City, and we decided we're going to go to church at the first church that we see. So no matter where it is, who cares what kind of church it is, we're just going to go check it out. And so um, we made it into Atlantic City. We went into this church. I, I don't remember the name of the church, but I remember it had 12 names, you know, uh, like on the sign outside. It had, and I know that the, the pastor had like 12 titles as well. Um, and you guys know what I'm talking about. You've seen churches like that where there's not enough room on the sign to put all of the titles of the pastor's name. And then uh, when we went inside, a building like our size had about 12 people inside of it. And um, the experience was incredible. I think I've mentally blocked out some of it because it was so unusual as a person who worshiped in other types of settings. But at one time, I am not making this up, everybody in the congregation was on a full sprint around the congregation. I mean, full sprint. Um, at one time, everybody in the room was talking in a way that I didn't understand what was being said, but we're trying. We were there for two hours uh, and we hadn't even made it halfway through the church service. We forgot to pack our lunch, you know? And, and, and it was an incredible experience. It was one that I'm talking about 20 years later because it had an impact on my life. Um, but I can tell you that that morning, I went into church that morning expecting to hear from God and I think at a minimum what I can say comfortably, and the reason why I'm bringing it up right now, is that I was distracted from it. I missed out on the truth that was to be communicated. Why? Because there were tangible distractions that pulled away from the worship that had the potential of happening. And this morning, as we continue on in our series through 1 Corinthians called The Prodigal Church, we're going to recognize that, that God cares about what happens in rooms like this around the world. That actually, we talk about the church as the ecclesia, the called out people, and we understand that the church is not a building. We get that. But today, what we're going to see in the text as we study it together is that we're going to see that God does know and care about what happens in the church. And one of the great things as we study this passage together is the God that we just worship, the God that we serve, is a God of order. His expectation is that the way we worship him represents the, the order that is a part of his character. And, and he wants us to be sensitive to those things that might distract from or lead to. So when my friend was falling down the mountain, you could call, I wouldn't call it controlled chaos. I'd just call it chaos, right? Stuff's falling off. He's, it, it, and when it comes to that church service that we visit, it was, it was chaos. 
And I think that it's important for us as we study God's word together this morning. I, I'm excited to share this truth with you because I believe that God has a message for us that reminds us of how orderly is he is, how much he wants to do in our lives and how he wants to be a source of encouragement for us. You know, this, this church thing that we do is a team effort, right? I want to celebrate. I should have said this while the kids were still here before we dismissed them that we're so thankful that at the end of 2021, I almost every week mentioned about praying that the Lord allow us to end the year in a positive place financially, that through your sacrificial giving and through a group effort, lots of people gave sacrificially as unto the Lord, that we were in the black by over $4,000, which is such an encouragement. Like, I, I agree. And, and, and part of that was that as we watched in the year, we knew that it was going to take sacrificial giving. So we thank the Lord for that. This is a team effort. And this morning, as we study God's word together, one of the things that we're going to recognize is that we, even though we are in a time period of great burnout, can we, can we be honest with ourselves that I, I had somebody this last week, a good friend that I was talking to, and he's like, you know, I feel like everybody I know is going through some level of burnout. That's an interesting term, isn't it? There was a Forbes article that came out um, uh, based upon a study that was done recently, and it said some 80% of people are experiencing the symptoms of burnout, and they defined them this way. I want you to, to, to mentally do a checklist with me on this one. So the first one is a sense of failure and self-doubt, a feeling of helplessness, being trapped and defeated, a sense of detachment, feeling alone and isolated in the world, a loss of motivation. Boy, this is encouraging, isn't it? Aren't you glad you came to church today? No. Uh, the, okay, a, a loss of motivation, increasingly cynical and negative outlook, a decreased satisfaction and sense of accomplishment. I talked to a friend this week and he said, I feel as though my computer has been hacked and my hard drive has crashed in my life, right? It's the way he described it. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That we, we recognize today. I even think, you know, that, that survey, the 80% perhaps might be even a little low when I think about my friends and family that are surrounding me. So, so the question that comes to the surface and where we're going to get to study together today in God's word that I celebrate and I rejoice in the fact is when we are burned out, we have a question that each one of us gets to ask. And that is, what do I do when I'm worn out, when I'm exhausted, when I'm burned out? And today, what we're going to see in God's word are these incredible statements. Like when we come to him, when we enter into what he wants to do in our lives, we can experience strength being built up, being instructed and ultimately we can be encouraged. And, and so for some of us today, one of the things that we recognize, if there was a, um, if your, your life had a, a fuel meter that you could see how empty or full that you are in life, if we use that, that image and we say, when you're running empty in your gas tank, you don't drive home and hope that it fills itself up miraculously. But what you do is you go to the gas station and you fill it back up, Right. And today, what I believe God's going to challenge each one of us in is he's going to say, when we come together in his way and in his timing and in the way he designed his church to be, that when we experience one another's gifts with one another and hear his voice through one another, what ultimately happens is we find ourselves encouraged, strengthened, built up, and instructed. And I'll tell you, when I'm discouraged, 
when, I am, when I've experienced distractions and disruptions, it steals away from what God wants to do. But when I sit at his feet and I worship him, and when I listen to my brothers and sisters and trust God's at work, then what happens is my life is radically changed. I think we're gonna see that through our study of 1 Corinthians this morning. I wanna give two quick qualifiers. This is a very controversial passage of scripture if you've read ahead. And as we studied this together, I apologize, you'll see this was an accident, but we list ESV, but we use the NIV. That was just a clerical error on my part. But um, as we go through this, um, as we read through this today, I'm gonna challenge you with two qualifiers. The first one is this. Um, we always, this is so essential, we always use scripture to interpret scripture. And, and that is um, one of the principles that we say, it's funny, in the text it'll actually have a statement that will say, did the word of God originate with you? The apostle Paul asked that question. And his point is so powerful to me because he's saying, is it God's word or is it your word? Are you, we, we, we talk about two um, terms when it comes to Bible study. One of them is eisegesis. That's where I try to to press into God's word, my preconceived notions and what I expect for it to say and what I want it to say, eisegesis. Exegesis means that I sit at the feet of God's word and I say, Lord, have your way with me. I want to understand your word. But we always use scripture to interpret scripture. And so today, when we study what are some controversial passages of scripture, we're going to put it in the context of the immediate surrounding context. What did Paul say about similar topics in this particular book? And then what does God's word say about this, this concept elsewhere? And, and it matters what the author intended to say. Remember, Jesus addressed timely events that happened around them. There was a, him, there was a tower that fell and he spoke into that moment. We're talking about a timely event that was happening in a specific group of believers that were in Corinth at the time. And, and what they were really wrestling with was, can the church be um, God's church and, and kind of hang on to the values of the culture that's around them? And it just didn't work well for them. So Paul's challenging them in this area. Now, I'll remind you why it's so important for us to understand what the author was saying, partially because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But uh, I read a, a, a book recently by a British author, and uh, they used the term boot in the, in the book. And the first thought that comes to my mind, because I spent four years studying in Dallas, Texas, that I was thinking about those leather things that you put on your shoe, or you put on your feet. My, my friend is a pastor in San Antonio, Texas. He's Canadian by birth, never wore a pair of boots in his life. And he said he knew when he had arrived in his church family, he's a, um, a senior pastor in San Antonio, when they loved him enough to buy him his very own pair of boots. And he said, now I have to wear it every Sunday, right? But, uh, um, you know, that, that was the thought that came to mind. But what the author was meaning to talk about was your trunk, okay? And so, so when we understand how language is used, understand the precision of Scripture, it's important for us to study to show ourselves a workman approved, rightly handling the word of truth. So when we study these verses, it's essential for us to remember that we use Scripture to interpret scripture. This is going to be all about building up the body of Christ. The second qualifier that I will give you today is this passage is a response to a particular specific problem in the church in Corinth, and this is not an exposition on gender roles in the church. 
Paul, Paul here is not focusing in on the subject of gender roles. He's going to talk about the very specific circumstances that were happening at this church and at this time. And so, so as we boil that down and distill that down, what we're going to see today in the text is that your God that you worshipped a few minutes ago, your God that has claimed you as, as, your, as his child, who is our heavenly father, he desires to bring order out of chaos. And when it pertains to those of us who worship together in spirit and truth, his expectation is we do so in a way that's worthy and consistent with his character, that it's, it's orderly, that it's glorifying and honoring to him. We need order. That's going to be the first point this morning. The second one is there are many benefits for us worshiping in God's way. I, I love that in the text that we're studying together today, it's gonna say a phrase like, when you get together, and it's assumed. It's assumed that that is a part, of, an essential part of the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, we need order. The sermon titled this morning is um, Order and Chaos. And I, I think it's important, um, organized chaos, and I think it's important to remember that we need order. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're gonna begin in verse 26. So I'll remind you, uh, the reason why that church building is upside down on the image is that we're going through a series called The Prodigal Church, where the church was missing out on the best that that. Um, that in Corinth that, that God had for them. Paul had been intimately involved in the church. He'd had people who knew the details of this church that had report, reported back to him that they were being distracted or allowing things to creep in that were distracting from worship. And so here he says these words beginning in verse 26 of chapter 14. And again, I'll be reading um, from the NIV. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together? Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so, so that the church may be built up. I'll be honest, when I first read this, I recognized that most of our services that we participate in, especially here at Hope, are pretty organized. They're detailed. There's, there's a rundown and a schedule, and maybe, maybe too much so at some level when it comes to expecting to hear from the voice of God. And one of the things as I read this that I'm committed to this next year is including more voices on this stage, hearing from your personal life stories and testimonies of truth poured through your personality. We'll hear more this year from our elders as they share from God's word. And I, I think it's important for us to recognize God has impacted our lives in different ways and it's appropriate for us to share them. And the litmus test that we understand what the value of those gifts are is if they're used to build up versus to be distractions from what God wants to do in and through us. He says this in verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue... Two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and to speak to himself and to God. I love the way D.A. Carson puts it. He says, it's clear when you look at this passage of scripture that the Corinthian church services were not boring, right? You know, there, there was stuff happening. It was uh, exciting. Um, but at the same time, he wanted to remind them that it could distract away from the message that God has for his people. God is straightforward. He's clear. He's, he's understandable. 
And so, and so when we look at the, the plurality of gifts that God has given us to build up the body of Christ, we recognize that his desire is for us to do so in a way that lifts one another up, that, that we, we are people who really need to, um, at times, give way to one another. Have you sat at a, a dinner, maybe a family meal, when, when you sit back and you just watch and you notice people, people are just talking right on top of each other. They're not listening. They're, uh, or, or you'll notice at times, especially when you see somebody in an argument, that, that they've, they've shut off their ears and they're just thinking about what the next thing is that they're going to say. And here, um, I, I love this picture. You, if you've ever been on a ski mountain, like this one on the left happened last year at Vail Resorts. I guess they had a discount coupon day or something. Look how crowded that thing is. So if you've ever been on a ski mountain or snowboard, whatever, like in order for all those people to make it down a hill um, and not kill each other, it requires you at times to give way to someone else. It requires you to make space for someone else. It requires you to be in control and choose to allow someone to have access. Uh, and, and so here in the text, I think the image is a clear one, is that he's saying that we need to be people who give way to one another, even in the church. At times we speak and at other times we listen and I think that that's a part of the beauty of the variety of gifts that God's given us the ability to exercise them. This is something that I want to see grow in our church family in this year. I, I want to see more of you and use your gifts. I want to see you use them to build up the body of Christ. This is not the only opportunity that we have of understanding the truth of God's word. And I, and I think that for us to grow into the church that God's called us to be, it means that more of us bring our gifts to the surface. And without utilizing them, we're all missing out on what God has for us. I think it's essential when Christians exercise their spiritual, spiritual gifts, the main goal, what we experience is to the, the privilege of being built up uh, with one another and built into community. Verse 29 says this, Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Very specific instructions. And I don't think we should get hung up on, like, is this controlling or um, is this over? I think he recognized that they were in a very difficult space and this is how he recommended that they move forward. Why? In verse 21, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. I'll just tell you, I need more of that in my life. I need more instruction, encouragement. I need more direction. And I think that, that here, when we talk about that burnout, that discouragement that is such a temptation for each of us today, I think it's important for us to understand that that's a part of what God wants to do in and through us, is to be instructed and encouraged by giving way to others. Verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Now, we've talked about the word prophecy. It's shown up in multiple passages in this uh, context of 1 Corinthians. I just want to remind you of what prophecy is. The Greek word translated prophesying or prophecy, it means to speak forth, to declare the divine will of God or to interpret the purposes of God. 
And I think it's important for us to understand that it's making way for a pathway forward to understand what God desires. It's not always a prediction. We studied Isaiah as a church family, and many of those truths were prophetic truths that would be fulfilled later on. But um, often, the kind of thing that we do here as we study God's word, we listen to his voice, that we proclaim it in a way that's meaningful, it can be understood as a form of prophecy. And so as it's described here, it helps us to understand that the goal is that people are built up and they are discouraged. And then um, verse 33 gives us some insight into the reason why we do this. For our God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all of the congregations of the Lord's people. That's his desire for every church is that we represent peace, that we represent order. I'll just remind you, church, that the God that we worship is a God of order. I love the, the understanding as we study the universe and the details of creation that, that there's order and consistency. Uh, we went to the Cleveland Zoo a couple weeks ago, my family and I, and we, they have a, a really neat exhibit about ants. And I always think it's funny, Solomon talked about studying the ants and and, and what you notice is just precision and detail and order and roles. And, and it's incredible to see how they partner together. And here God and his creation is at work even in the most mundane of details of his creation. I think our bodies are like that, that they heal themselves, that God's created the systems of our body to partner together and to give us strength and growth and that they function together. We know this from creation we know this from his establishment of time. And you just think about a year's time, one trip around the sun and the experience of, of God giving us seasons and his ability to be orderly in such a way that he could say that he created this, this wonderful creation that we have in, in a beautiful six-day span, that God is a God of order. Uh, he is not a God of anarchy. I'll define anarchy as a state of disorder due to absence or non-recognition of authority. I think that's, that's not what he has for us. He is not a God of tyranny. He is not cruel or oppressive in the way he teaches us to obey him. But he believes in ordered freedom. There's room for creativity in the body of Christ. He desires for us to use our gifts in a way that brings him glory and honor. But he does not want us to live in a state of chaos. I, I love this picture. I'll share it with you. This happened uh, when we lived in Southern California. If you're like, what is this that I'm looking at? So these cows escaped a meatpacking plant. And uh, I, I love this picture because I, I think it's funny. I think they just are, they're walking on the highway in line with the uh, traffic so that they could uh, just blend in, right? Uh, but you can see the, the, the police car coming down the road. You can, so, so the story, and, and I won't unpack it now, but, but let's just say it led to chaos out there. And, and I, we, we know that there are things like this that happen but, but I'll just remind you as we continue to study God's word that his desire for us is to experience perfect order. So in the next few verses, I just want to remind you before we study them that in the context, the Lord, uh, through his inspiration, even in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the role of men and women in ministry. And Previously, in another context, as we studied the book of Acts, we have these great examples of individuals using their gifts. So when we read 
in verse 34, um, this, this statement, for some of us, we might feel like uh, we're reading something the Taliban might try to do in Afghanistan. Or uh, you read this and you say, well, how in, in the world could this be profitable? But I want to unpack this with you because I think it's really important. Verse 34 says, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. As the law says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Um, so, so when we read these things, we, we're initially struck. What in the world is that talking about? But let me, let me jump back to Acts chapter 2, 17, when we're told in God's word that there will be a time period when... Um, towards the end days when, when young men, it says this, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And we believe that this is an eschatological anticipation of what God's gonna do towards the end. So how, how can you take this verse that says people should be silent and mesh it together with this? Or we remember in Acts 21, 8, 9, a description of Philip's daughters being called prophets or prophetesses. And you kind of start to say, well, how does this mesh together? Even in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, 5 and eleven thirteen, Paul's already addressed um, prophecy and, as it applies to both women and men. And so, so I've already shared, this is not a treatise on women in ministry, which I believe that God has a plan for women in ministry. I believe he's designed us to be equal in value, but at times to play different roles. But, but I think here what it's essential for us to do is to understand that he was talking about a unique thing that was happening in the church in Corinth at that time. It doesn't mean we dismiss everything. There's great principles here about in our homes, understanding God's word and seeking truth. And it actually elevates the value of an individual wrestling with truth and questions in their life. But I think it's helpful. Stephen T. Ohm, in a sermon that he wrote on this topic, I found it to be or delivered on this topic. I found his words to be very helpful for me. He says this, it is in this context that Paul's statements about the role of women in corporate worship need to be read. He's talking about understanding the rest of Scripture. Whatever Paul may be saying, he is not saying that women ought to remain silent at all times. He has already encouraged them to pray and to prophesy. I think that's important. He's already challenged them to do that. So, so we can't just misunderstand it. But what are these verses saying? Verses 33b through 35 continue, and as they describe it, what we see is Paul is talking about the authoritative weighing of prophecies. And I think it's appropriate for us to say that there must have been something that was happening in Corinth where there was a weighing of prophecies, and there are certain individuals that were um, disrupting the ability for worship to happen through how they were um, describing or interjecting, asking questions, perhaps even challenging what was being taught publicly. So in a broader cultural context where women were generally submissive, which was the time period, this would have brought shame upon the husbands of such women. It would have been a time of great dishonor. And so here, as he describes this, I don't think Paul wants women to be left in the dark. He doesn't diminish the role of women's influence. I think what he's implying here is that um, there was a unique aspect of that church that was very difficult and needed to be addressed in their context. And so um, this is not a question of nature, um, but a question of function. 
And, and it leads us to the second point this morning, and that is there are many benefits of worshiping God's way. I, I just believe this in my heart. I, I have experienced this in my life. I have had the privilege of being in the church for most of my life. And as a person who's raised in the church, I love the connection that we have with one another. I look forward to corporate worship and the privilege of being able to exalt the name of the Lord together. Those of you who sit close to me, you know I don't sing well, but I sing loud. And I enjoy the privilege of worshiping the Lord. And I love the iron sharpens iron factors of being able to be in community with one another. I like you guys. I like the privilege of being able to, to do something together that we could not do individually. I think all of that happens. And I want to notice a few things that come back. We'll look back at a verse um, that we've already mentioned, and that is in verse 26. It says this. I, I, think, um, I think when we look at the benefits we get to receive, it says this in verse 26. What, shall, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together... Uh, like I mentioned earlier, this is not an if you come together. This isn't optional in the Christian life. It is expected. Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so in the church so that the church may be built up. I think it's, it's helpful for us to say, how can you be built up? And how can you build up if you are not here? I think it's important for us to understand that when we come together God's way, we hear from him as we hear from one another. The way this is described as each of you, I think it's important that we catch that this is what God wants to happen in each of our lives. It's not just um, for the extra spiritual ones or those who are, um, have been believers for a long time. or It's for all people in, in their walk with the Lord as it is. I think that it's important when we come together in God's way that we remember that we're instructed, we're encouraged. I think this is truly the antidote to being burned out. I think this is what it means for us to be filled up is that we experience what God's doing in the life of others and it encourages us and spurs us on. When we come together in God's way, we learn to know who he is. I love this in verse 33. It says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And when we experience his order in his church, we experience what it is to understand the character of God. I think it's important when we come together God's way, we learn to appreciate the freedom that comes from understanding God's order and our differences. Verse 36 goes on to say this. It says, or did not the word of God originate with you? I already mentioned, like he's, he's making a statement. It's, it's God's word. We submit to it. Or are you the only people it has reached? Of course not. It's universal. It's powerful. But we apply it in our lives in a particular way. If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. I think it's important that Paul is emphasizing his understanding of the authority of God's word. And then it goes on to, I think, give us another value. When we come together God's way, we grow to understand one another. Verse 39 says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. We recognize, like we read in verse 33, that the God we serve is a God of order, um, he is not a God of disorder, but of peace. 
And so, so this, this uh, morning, I, I want to challenge you that as we, as we study God's word and as we go through this series through 1 Corinthians, one of the things that I think he's challenging each one of us to do is to take seriously our own engagement in the body of Christ. He, he cares about what happens in our worship services. Isn't that incredible to think about the fact that when we, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, and when we, um, when we praise the Lord together, this, this song that we're going to close with is a declaration of a blessing um, from the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that we recognize this blessing of what he wants to do in and through us for his glory. But as we worship him and we do so in spirit and truth, we get the privilege of having access to and having an audience of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Beyond that, when we do this right, we get to experience being built up and encouraged and instructed and a chance to use our gifts for his glory. And I'm going to ask you as we're kicking off 2022 for you to search your hearts and to say, Lord, what is it that you have given me that you're expecting me to use for your glory in the church? Uh, What is it that you're asking me to invest Uh, for your kingdom, my gifting, my experiences, my story. And and I pray that for each one of us, we would do so in an orderly way, but in a way that represents the fact that he is worthy of our praise. Would you stand together with us and I will pray and then we'll worship together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word um, that is powerful, that speaks into our life experience and I pray that we would be convicted in areas that we need to be convicted in and we would find joy and peace in the areas that you want to affirm in our lives. Would you be exalted as we close our time in prayer? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.